left, right. Yo, what's up? I appreciate you guys joining this podcast. Always important to me to see you guys here, see you guys in the comments, and see you guys subscribing. But today, we are talking about the food and beverage industry. Do you, uh, you like to eat food? Do you eat food? Do you serve food? Do you prepare food? Someone tell me you eat food. But uh, if you go to restaurants, if you go to bars, you need to understand that the food and beverage industry is, is changing. And uh, I think over the next decade, it's going to look vastly different than it does today when it comes to automation, when it comes to AI, when it comes to takeout food, when it comes to health regulation and, uh, and safety. Things are changing. They're changing fast. So uh, listen to this episode. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think we missed. And uh, let me know your opinion in the comments. And uh, if you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast. It's just, uh, it's just me and my co-host, James, that, that do the podcast. we got Rosh, who hooks us up on the back end, helps us produce the podcast. But really, outside of that, it's just us. So we truly, truly, the three of us, appreciate you guys subscribing and uh, interacting with the podcast. It helps us grow and uh, makes us feel good deep, deep down inside. So uh, thank you for being there. And uh, I'll see you on the other end and see you guys soon. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. Cheers. 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 I think that popping of the bottle means that we're online. Welcome, everyone, to episode 134 of Sip Talk. My name is Justin DeGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey. I'm joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, out of sunny South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a bartender, a professional referee, and an accountant. On that note, James, how's it going? Things are going pretty well down here. Um it's finally starting to cool off a little bit in South Carolina. Um, <clears throat> no more days where it's 90 to 95 degrees. Now it's just a 85. But is the humidity still there? Oh, of course it is. Oh uh, yeah, we got a big, got a big wave of humidity uh, last couple of days over here, and some, and some serious rain. Let me ask you first. I heard a can crack open. What are you drinking? You got one guess. I'm gonna go with the bush ice. Yeah, you got it right. I got right. something else to follow up on it, but starting off with bush ice. Uh, I got a little 18-year-old Glenfiddich. Glenfiddich. That's uh, it's been hanging out here for a while, so I figured it's been time to open it up. So last it's a few good days, bottle. Last few days, it's gotten uh, some fresh air. Um, but <clears throat> speaking of the humidity and the rain, dude, last night I was driving home. Um, and I'm in the pickup truck, which is, you know, not the sportiest of, of vehicles. And I hit this crazy monsoon. And, uh, you know, luckily I had a little rain axe on the windshield from a couple of weeks ago. So it wasn't terrible. But there were points you couldn't see anything. And uh, the windshield started to fog up a little bit. I turned the heat on full blast. <clears throat> the fog is rolling back in the windshield. I got the window cracked open because I got the heat on the windshield. And uh, I'm driving along doing, you know, 45 miles an hour or so. And the wind is just whipping across the road. It's coming down really, really fucking hard. And uh, all of a sudden, I just get this crazy feeling. My ears popped, total change in pressure. 
I'm thinking to myself, fuck, like, cause we're, we're in the middle, you know, we're, we're in it. We're not in the middle of it. Like, uh, you know, the eye of the hurricane or anything, but we're in the middle of it. I'm thinking we're, we're you know, we're about to get hit by a fucking tornado. Some, some scary shit. I don't know uh, how the rain has been down where you are, but up here we've been getting some, some pretty wild weather. Charleston's really streaky with its weather. Like it gets into a pattern and then it just kind of stays there for a long time. So earlier this month, we were in a rainy pattern for like a week and a half or two weeks where it would rain like almost every single day. But now we've kind of settled into this high pressure pattern and it's just staying pretty dry. Although I think we're supposed to get a little bit of rain later on this week. Does your truck not have AC? Uh, no, no, there's no AC in this truck. <laughs> this is my beat up old pickup truck. Uh, hi, Craig in Orlando. What's up in Orlando? Yeah, man. But the the weather is getting more severe. You know, they're saying we're going to be getting these 100 year storms every 10 years or so. And the storms that we've been having lately, <clears throat> I have noticed have been have been pretty damn intense. But but that was some scary shit. I was trying to figure out, should I pull over? Should I try to power through it? I didn't know, but it was it was pretty wild. Um, <clears throat> all right. So let's get on topic here. Uh, James, your mic is exceptionally good. <laughs> I like that note. <laughs> yeah, then no, no change in settings. All I did was plug in the same USB that I always do. <clears throat> All right. You get a USB mic? It's uh, the headset plugs in USB. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Um, okay. So today we're talking about the food and beverage industry. Uh, you had some thoughts on, uh, on it changing because of automation, things like that, changing because of coronavirus. Am I, am I pretty accurate on that? Yeah, I watched a video last night. There's a YouTube channel called Alpha Investments. And it's a guy that um, does a lot of investing in the, the trading card world, um, like Magic the Gathering cards, but also Pokemon Flesh and Blood, uh, various like video games, basically a whole bunch of collectibles. Um, the dude who runs the channel... Uh, was originally in finance in I think Wall Street, but if not Wall Street, then in finance somewhere else working for a hedge fund and eventually got out of that and started running his own card shop and investing in collectibles. So he's got an interesting perspective on things because like, he appeals to the nerd in me because he'll talk about like nerdy crap that I like, but at the same time, he's got a background in finance and when he was growing up, he worked in restaurants. When he was in high school and college, he worked in restaurants. His father was a restaurant manager. I, mean, I think a and, lot of people, a lot of people, I think, work a, a stint in restaurants. Once we get, to, sorry to interrupt you, but in a minute, I'm gonna, I have some questions I threw on the the Instagram stories today, and I'm gonna share some of the the viewer and, and listener feedback on those. But I think almost the majority of the people that I know at some point in time have worked in a restaurant or in the food and beverage industry. So, sorry, sorry. Well, then that was kind of his point. He talked about how, like, when he was growing up in the 80s, he's probably a little bit older than you or I, but not by much, probably within two or three years of our age. And he was talking about how, like, his father worked for a restaurant and he was the manager of what eventually became like the Outback Steakhouse chain, but this is back in the 80s, so whatever it was. Okay. And he said okay. that his dad made like fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year during the 80s. And he's like, that was pretty good money back then. And like we were able to afford a house and like the house that we bought probably cost us eighty to a hundred thousand dollars back in the eighties. 
which if you think about in terms of how many years of his salary that was, is like maybe two years of his salary, if that. And he says that same restaurant manager position today probably pays fifty or sixty thousand dollars. And and houses are now like that same house that they bought in the eighties would probably be three to four hundred thousand dollars today. So you're looking at best case scenario seven to eight times what your salary is compared to one and a half to three times and that's not to talk about the the, the, like if your wages in 85 were fifty thousand and your wages in 2021 are fifty thousand well factor in inflation and you're taking like a 50 or 60 percent pay cut and he was also talking about how the the restaurant industry and the service industry is a jumping off point for so many people in so many different careers because it teaches you things that you're not going to learn in other industries and he's looked at not just what happened in the last 18 months or so because of coronavirus in restaurants but also just the general trend in restaurants of paying less and like have if you're a server the, the various tip outs that you have to do and how restaurants have found a way of being able to reduce their own payroll liabilities by getting the staff to pay other staff instead of the restaurant paying staff. Well, I, yeah, let's let's visit that in a second. But I I like what you just said that a lot of people has have used the food and beverage industry as a springboard for later on in their career because they're they're you know they're sustainable for whatever their lifestyle is when they're working at that restaurant, be that at eighteen or twenty or even thirty years old. Uh, but they, but they're gaining skills and they're able to support themselves over the amount of time that they're working there and use it as a springboard in, into wherever their career may take them from there. But I I just I don't know exactly the terminology they use, but that's what the metaphor meant in my head. And now mm-hmm. I think it's barely a stepping stone because for a lot of people who are working in that industry, they're barely making enough to get by. I would agree. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know, you can't live a sustainable life when you're working at a restaurant and then working at another restaurant or working at a restaurant and then another job and you're working 10, 12 hours a day just to get by. You don't have that free time in your schedule to devote towards finding another job or adding other activities that you could pad your resume with. You're just working 12 hours a day to get by. And that's not there's no springboard in that. Because yeah, for a lot of people, like the way that it would go would be you would restaurant jobs primarily you work evenings because that's when most people like sure there's going to be lunch and, and breakfast places, but most most restaurants make most of their money during the dinner hours. So that's when a lot of the hours to be filled are. And so if you want to go to school for something and you need to support yourself, then a restaurant job makes a lot of sense because you can go to school in the morning come back, have lunch, do some homework, and then go to work. And then you'll be back home by like 11 or 12 o'clock, which is not an unreasonable hour if you don't have to be up until like 8 or 8.30 in the next day. So you can do both school and restaurant work, but that's really contingent on the restaurant being able to pay enough that you can support yourself on that job. And it used to work pretty well, and it's a lot harder these days. Yeah, well, you know, when you were talking about the wage, I was making some notes when you were talking about the wages not really rising in restaurants. And the thinking in my head was that there's a huge amount of restaurants that are super cheap, like unbelievable that you can get, you see at 
ads on TV for Fridays or Applebee's where they're telling you you can basically be in and out the door at $12 a head, mm-hmm. which is which is insane. You know, to me, it's like the the McDonald's McDonald's dollar menu has had the same items on it for the last two decades, which is changing now. Now they have a value menu for, for most cases, but the yeah, there's that, a lot less stuff that you can get for a dollar at, do- at McDonald's now. Yeah. But a lot point is a lot of restaurants have stayed very inexpensive to keep people eating there. You know, they've kept the consumer pricing pretty, pretty low. Um, all right. Rosh has got Italian people call coming back for lunch siesta and it's usually not for doing homework okay all right so so tell me more about what, what this what you what you're learning from this guy well he was talking about how he see the the trend that he sees that he hopes doesn't happen but he thinks is likely is that a lot of restaurants are looking at some of the models that we've already seen debuted with like kiosks and touch screens to Mm -hmm. do your own ordering and everything like that. And restaurant owners are looking at that as an opportunity for them to cut costs. Cause you, if if you have a decent system, you make a one-time investment and then it's basically free for the rest of the restaurant. And so you don't have to have, you don't have to be paying somebody who might make mistakes, but they're just going to be costing money the whole time You, you buy the kiosk and people just do their own ordering. And so he thinks that you're not only going to see that more commonly, but you're also going to start seeing like much more automation in both the, the preparation and the delivery of food within a restaurant. So what's, where, what's, what's this guy's name? Just credit where credit's due. The, the YouTube channel is Alpha Investments. And what's the guy's name? Rudy. Rudy, does he have a last name or he's just Rudy of Alpha Investments? Uh, that's what he goes by. I'm, okay. I'm sure he has a last name. I'm not aware of it. So, but, but that I'd, I'd recommend people listen to the video that he posted about restaurants. It, it went up like a day or two ago. But that's where we're going with this conversation today is there's and I've outlined a whole bunch of challenges to the restaurant industry um, and owning a restaurant and what it's like working in a restaurant and the, and the difficulties with being a waiter, waitress or working behind the bar. But I think really what our focus is on is that over the next few years, we're going to see an incredible amount of, of automation that is very challenging to the restaurant industry. I was in LaGuardia airport two or three years ago, and there was a little like sushi bar slash restaurant. And I walked up, I sat at the bar there was like one other person at the bar. It was a pretty empty restaurant. And there's an iPad on the table in front of me. And I just sat there and waited and waited and waited. The waiter kind of walked around. He talked to like somebody out on the, the restaurant floor, uh, asked the other guy at the other end of the bar something. And he was too far away. I couldn't really get his attention. Finally, after being there for like 10 minutes, the guy, and I had time to burn, which is why I'm sitting in a restaurant, LaGuardia Airport. Finally, the guy comes in within earshot of me and I kind of wave and, and say, excuse me, get his attention. And I said, hey, you know, I just uh, was hoping to order a quick drink. Is that all right? And he just pointed to the iPad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, nobody works here. You're just you're just <laughs> delivering food. Nobody works here. And uh, I just instantly had a bad taste in my mouth. and was like, fuck, like I, I'd rather I don't want to be here. 
And, and since then, I've been to a handful of other airports where the, basically all the seating area is just covered in, in touchscreen tablets. And that's how you order is through the mm-hmm. tablets. I, I really don't like it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people really do like it. I'll tell you where I do like it. Fast food. Like Taco Bell has been doing this a lot more back when like you still walked into a restaurant to order because like a lot of places like still are only like drive through only. But like the touch screens at Taco Bell where you can just kind of like say, all right, this is what I want. And like you can and like you're guaranteed to not have your order screwed up because it shows up right in front of you and you're the one who did it. And it's quicker because you like there's less of a line, if any line at all. And like I'm when I go to a place like Taco Bell or McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever, I'm not going there for a dining experience. I'm going there because I need food and I need it quickly. And I have already okay. decided I don't really care about the nutrition. Fair enough. Okay. Where are we drawing that line though? Because, because, you know, are you drawing that line at a Friday's? Well, I, I wouldn't go to a Friday's. <laughs> or or really any of those like Fridays, Applebee's, Ruby Tuesday, any of like those kind of bottom tier chain restaurants, I just wouldn't go to. But I feel like a couple years ago I went out, we went to this uh haunted house up in upstate New York. So it was like an hour and a half away, a bunch of friends uh Adam went up. We uh we drove up and on the way either up or back we stopped at an Outback Steakhouse thinking like, well, there's a group of us. There's not like independent restaurants, you know, pretty much what's up here, chain restaurants. And I had a really bad experience. I was like, ah, you know, the, the, the food is terrible. I'm getting like a, a 24 ounce Jack and Coke with like one shot of Jack Daniels <laughs> and 20 uh, something ounces of, of Coca-Cola or probably 15 ounces, a whole bunch of ice. And uh, it was just, across the board a bad experience food and, and service wise and you know that happened a few years ago and then since i moved to jersey there's a whole bunch more of these chain restaurants around so i said you know what let me try uh let me try a friday's you know it was one of those nights where there was no food in the house and a restaurant made sense but kind of short on time and i'm like you know what i haven't been to a friday's in probably 15 years and i mean I'm, you know that's a pretty accurate guess uh, probably before we lived in South Carolina was the last time I went to Fridays. I went into this Fridays. There, it seemed like there was three people working there and there was nobody behind the bar. There was a host and some people that came in, went in and out of the kitchen here and there. The food, one, the service was terrible because there was nobody around. Uh, we were served with plastic silverware. Somehow my guess is that had something to do with coronavirus. But yeah, which doesn't make any sense, but whatever. doesn't make any sense because you're washing the yeah, you're washing the, the silverware and the food that we got. The only thing I could compare it to is when somebody buys frozen food in the grocery store and then reheats it in their microwave or well, in, the, in the oven. The Friday's makes for frozen food that you can buy in the grocery store, which is exactly what I realized is that for uh, product consistency. They're serving me the exact same thing, and it's probably comes in the same bag, just more items in the bag in a freezer pack. Uh, it's served to you know served to me in the restaurant, 
comes out of an unbranded box in a plastic wrapper. And then the grocery store comes in a branded box in a plastic wrapper. Yeah, probably the only difference would be that like, if you get like a burger and fries or like, I don't know, chicken, chicken fingers or something like that, like that they might actually drop the stuff into a deep fryer instead of in a microwave or an oven. But if you were, if you were lucky, yeah, I'm sure. I'm saying burgers... maybe, I don't know. The last time I was in a Friday's was probably about 12 years ago, which it was while you were still living in South Carolina. Yeah, bad, but bad, bad food. And I just thought like this was a cool spot. Like I remember it like being kind of a place that, you know, would be cool. It was it was somewhat unique. But now it's just, you know, there's one every 15, 20 miles and, you know, in and around every city. It's all the same. And, mm-hmm. and it's just not it's not cool. Uh, but let's let's talk a little bit more about how we see challenges that automation is is bringing to the restaurants. Well, so here's one that that um, Alpha Investments mentioned last night. He said, like, even things that you didn't think could be replaced, he's seeing replaced. And the example is bartending, where it's not that difficult to to have a robotic bartender where, like, you punch in your order of, like, the various cocktails that are on the menu or, like, if you want a highball, like Jack and Coke or something like that, whatever. But basically you could just have a machine that's loaded up with various liquors and like it's got a recipe where it's okay. An ounce and a half of this, an ounce of this, an ounce of this mixer ice, pour it all into a glass and then just have like a little stir rod that goes through and stirs it. And there's your drink. Dude, did, I, like, did I tell you about the, the faucet that I wanted to buy for the kitchen? Maybe. Yeah. So I bought this faucet. It's by Moen and I can just say, Hey, Moen, Give me three quarters of a cup of water at 92 degrees. And then it, sa- it says, wave your hand over. It says, ready, wave your hand over when you're ready for me to dispense. Something along those lines. So if my home faucet can do that, I imagine that you can build the technology into a bar where all the bottles are just upside down on a bunch of tubes. And it pours the bottle in whatever quantity you want, in whatever order you want. And I'm sure you can come up with an apparatus to mix it and add some damn ice. And, yeah, and, it would and that, be very easy. And that wipes bartenders off the planet entirely. Yeah, and from a restaurant <laughs> owner, you can look at it as this is two advantages. One is I don't have to pay a bartender. And two, I have virtually perfect portion control on every single drink where the bartender's yeah. never overpouring. Yeah, there's no free shots, no drinks slip under the table, no 20s slip under the register. Um <clears throat> and uh, I could see that being a major upside for a restaurant owner with a certain perspective, but also as far as I'm concerned, that takes so much out of going to a bar. It's, it's not, to me, it's not a bar anymore. Well, you lose that. Why do you, why do you go to a bar? Cause you, because you want to get drunk or because you want to get out, maybe be around other people and, and have a bit of exposure to, you know, just other people, really. Yeah, but the the bartender to me makes a makes up a good portion of the experience. Like, yeah, hundred percent. I, I completely agree. A good that. bartender can turn an average night into a great night just by doing their job well. Yeah, and by yeah, because depending on the bar, depending on the bartender, but yeah, they're there to talk to you and, and I don't want to sound too sad, but provide you some company, 
and some levity. And they're also, yeah, but if you're know, out on a date, like the bartender can kind of help grease the wheels a little bit in terms of like picking out a good drink for either you or your date. They like, if they need to, they can like sometimes interject and get the conversation going again. Like bartenders, a good bartender will know when to step in and help out and when to stay away and let you do your thing. So then what happens to waiters and waitresses? They just be and bartenders. They just become a novelty. Like a Hooters, yeah. they're 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 only there to add, you know, whatever to the experience. But they're completely superfluous. They're they're not needed at all. When you're done checking your email, no, no, I'm looking at the Rosh sent a link for a premium cocktail and margarita machine for a home bar, and it's this like single press kind of thing, but like. So 350 bucks for something super basic. If you're running a restaurant, you could probably get something for two or $3,000, if not a little bit more, which if you think about it, how long, do you, how long does it take for you to recover that cost in, in labor? And the answer is not very long. Well, also I imagine the beginning, just like any product, they'll have, you know, they'll have something like this that costs three, 300 bucks or, or two grand, but down, you know, it, within, within a year or two, They'll have some monstrosity that costs 10 grand and does it perfect or mm -hmm. costs 25 grand and does it perfect. But then in three or four years, that product is now down closer to a thousand bucks. And, uh, and I think it's very likely. And I, I think we lose, we lose a lot of, I mean, I can tell you when I found out that there was no bartender, it was just me sitting at a bar in front of an iPad surrounded by, you know, some raw fish. <laughs> I, I was out. I was checked out. I did not want to be at that bar in the airport. I was looking around for some other place to sit because sitting by myself, having a drink, which was my plan to begin with, but there was supposed to be some type of bartender there. So, so Rosh asked the question, why would this be any different from a candy or coffee vending machine? And the difference is if I go to a store and buy candy, like I go to a CVS or whatever and I want to get a Snickers or I buy it from a vending machine. In both cases, I'm not really looking to interact with the party that I'm buying from. Um, but is and, that what we're looking for at a bar is to interact with someone? Yeah, that's the reason why you go to a bar. I, I don't think that's why you go to a bar, though. I think that's that's part of it. And then you wouldn't go if it wasn't if it wasn't like that. I don't know. There's like a novelty factor to it where like. If you had a bar where the whole vibe was that we've got this robotic bartender and you really build the bar around that and you make that part of the bar and you make that part of the experience, it could work. But that, that's kind of an edge case. Ah, I just, I, I very quickly see this happening. I, I see this happening very quickly. I really, mm -hmm. I really think that with the increase in labor costs, a lot of restaurants are going to say, you know, we can't serve you a, a, you know, a 12 or $14 burger. That burger has either got to cost 25 bucks because restaurants don't get by on huge profit margins. And everybody is looking for a piece of the pie. Think about the meal delivery services like Grubhub and Uber Eats and and, you know, and the others, they're, they're all taking a big chunk. I think of, it's like a 30 or 33% cut off the top from the restaurant. So 
if it's a t- if, if you've got a ten dollar dish, like if Grubhub charges you ten bucks for it, then the restaurant's probably only getting seven. Yes, and then you're not only paying ten dollars to Grubhub, you're also paying whatever service fee and the tip to the to the delivery guy. Right, right. That's just like if you see a dish on Grubhub for ten bucks. Like obviously, there's going to be costs after that ten dollars, but of that ten dollars, probably only about seven dollars is going to the restaurant. I actually ordered some food on Seamless this, I think, last week. Oh, I wish I could pull it up. I ended up paying way more than um, than the cost of the item did. Ah, damn it! I'm not going to be able to find it. But well, uh, all right. So moving forward with this, though, in terms of like the restaurant experience for both the patron and the employee. Like, I I really don't know what's going to happen because a lot of people have the same attitude that you and I do, which is that if we go to a restaurant, we're looking to have the experience of having a server or a bartender there because that's part of what we expect from a restaurant. So you might see more pushback on this, but at the same time, COVID has really forced people to reevaluate their expectations on things. And then another question is, like we hear all the time about unemployment statistics and how you've got all these people that are unemployed and then you've got all these job vacancies that employers say that they can't fill. And you have to ask, why is it that all these people that could go back to work are choosing not to? And I don't think it's as simple as saying, they're still getting unemployment. I well, think a lot of people are saying... Hold up, hold up, though. I also think they don't have to go back to work. So I, I think if they had to go back to work, people would get a, a bit more desperate. But we're at a point in this country where people don't have to work. Just just sharing that. I, I see a lot of people that just don't have to work and are getting by. But yeah, sorry. it's complicated. <laughs> but, it is. but yeah, I, I don't think... I think I think it's multi multifaceted here is that yes, there's a decent amount of people that don't have to work for whatever reason, um, but they're not being compelled to work at seven dollars an hour or nine dollars an hour. Yeah. Um but for a lot of people are looking at restaurant work now and saying, you know what, for the amount of work that goes into it and what you expect from me as an employee and the way that I'm treated by some patrons and everything, that amount of pay just doesn't cut it anymore. Well, you know, there's a lot of jobs that really don't exist in the United States anymore for citizens, you know, for people that were born on U.S. soil. Like, think about how many, uh, you know, American people that were born here that, pick uh pick fruits and vegetables or uh work on assembly lines and things like that you you don't have a lot of assembly lines different i'd say like meat packing and slaughterhouses picking fruit i don't yeah i don't think you have a lot of uh american people working in these in in meat packing and slaughterhouses or in the no no you don't in the garment industry, you you know, I work in the garment uh, district in New York City, and you go to half of these buildings, and a lot of them still have manufacturing on, on in the buildings, a heavy amount of it, and the elevator opens up on a floor that's not the one you're going to, which is probably, you know, a regular real estate business in, in my 
line of work and the elevator doors open and it's a bunch of Asian people working behind sewing machines in, in most of the cases. Um, but you know, a lot of those people were not born in the U S and these are the jobs that they're getting. So you, point, the, the point that I'm seeing is it's not like, it's not like seven Asian people and like three white dudes. Um, let's, let's hit up the questions that you asked and yeah, see let's... what people had to say. All right, let's see what I got here. So I threw a few questions out there. What has it been like working in the food and beverage industry in the last 18 months? Bear in mind, I only put these up an hour ago or so, uh, but I got unpredictable, sad, yet hopeful, better, now stronger. Um, that's from Christina Orso. I'm not, I'm not sure what city she's in. And then from Gapote, a lot of times back, people assume it's because everything is open and it's going to be like before COVID. I don't, I don't know exactly what that means. Next question was, has the restaurant industry changed since COVID for better or for worse? And I got uh, 11 uh, say for the better, 12 say for the worse. So uh, 48% better, 52 worse. Are you afraid of automation in the food and beverage industry? 46% say yes, 54% say no. I wonder if of those respondents, how many work in the food and bev industry? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% on, uh, on who's on what side of that. All right, let's go back to the next question here. Um, what would you change about how the industry is run? I got waiters and waitresses should be paid much more than they are from MJ. And then yeah. uh, let's see. I, I put up a sign that says, uh, sorry, we're short staffed. Please be patient with a staff that did show up to work today. Um, and then the food and, is food and beverage a career. Uh, 58% say yes. 42% say no, just for now. It's yeah. tough to make a career out of food and bev. But that's, that's the point is that today it's almost, you know, you're talking about somebody making 60 grand in the eighties and that same job is making, is making uh, 60 grand now. And, but also, you know, what I said was what's the cost of a plate of food at, at that restaurant or a similar restaurant. Well, and, and to be fair, <clears throat> some of the problems that restaurants face is most restaurants don't own the building or the property in which they're located. And so rental and lease costs have gone way up. Food costs in the last year and a half have gone way up, but they've also, they, like food costs always go up, but they've gone up even faster in the last year and a half. Um, staffing costs have gone up, probably not as much as they should have. And so the question is, when you're a restaurant, like, are you pricing your food appropriately? And to your point about $12, like three course meals or like $15 three course meals or whatever, like, is that sustainable? Is that something that a restaurant can actually make a profit on or where are they cutting corners to be able to afford to offer that kind of a price? I, I don't know what the rest of the world is like, but I can tell you in Manhattan, you go out and you get an entree for less than $20. That's very cheap. You get a beer for less than eight or nine bucks. That's very cheap. You get a cocktail for less than 15 bucks. 
that's very cheap. Um, you know, most of the restaurants I go into for, for a glass of wine, you're, you're close to about 20 bucks. Um, and a lot of times it goes in multiples of that from there. When I go outside of New York City to restaurants, I am always surprised by how cheap, how cheap things are. Um, you know, I, I went out to a restaurant on Saturday night expecting the bill to be in, in New Jersey, uh, expecting the bill to be 300 or so dollars. And just from what I'm used to in New York City, and it was about a, a buck and a half which I, I was just like, oh, shit, that's way cheaper uh, than I would have thought. And uh, and actually, the the bar staff took very good care of us, experimented with some drinks, made three or four drinks that were not on the bill and and experimented and gave us not just a taste, but a full cocktail. And so, well, so most restaurants like make the, their profit is in drinks. Uh, so like as a percentage of the total cost, do you know like the general rules for food costing and booze costing? No, I have no idea, but I do know that uh, if I am not drinking, my bill is very, very, very fractional compared to when I am having some drinks. So most restaurants, food costs are usually 30 to 33% of, of the bill. So if you're charging 10 bucks for a dish, your food cost going into that dish will be three to $3 and 30 cents. Um, so booze costs for beer is usually 20 to 25%. Wine is usually 15 to 20%. And then liquor is, Somewhere between twelve and eighteen percent. Okay, that's, that's um, reasonable. So you're making a lot more. You're making way more money on the on the. Yeah, your profit margin on 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 booze is way higher, and so and you can just think about this intuitively. So, like for example, if a restaurant buys a case of beer, not a keg or anything like that, a case of beer, let's say a twenty-four pack of Budweiser or whatever, the price that they're paying from their distributor is almost exactly the same price as if you were to walk into a grocery store and buy that same case of beer. They're not, they're not getting like significant discounts wholesale on the beer. So if you figure a 24 pack of Budweiser might cost you 20 bucks in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. So it's going to cost the restaurant about the same thing. So we'll, we'll round numbers up and say that each beer costs the restaurant a dollar. And how much would you expect to pay for a bottle of Budweiser? in your average restaurant in New York city, six to seven bucks. Right. So do the math. Yeah. You're making a 600% profit there. Yeah. And it's, and so that's where restaurants make a lot of their money is on, on the alcohol sales. It's tough for a restaurant to make money purely on food. Um, They can, there's some restaurants that specialize in it, but those are also the restaurants where you're doing like, where like a four course meal costs you 300 bucks. Yeah. Which there are a lot of restaurants in Manhattan like that as well. Uh, and then of course you had, you had booze on, on top of that and, and you're spending a lot of money. Sure. But when, if you're in a restaurant that can, that can sustain, that can get customers to pay $300 for, 
for just <clears> the food, then yeah, you can make your profits on the food. But at the same time, you're probably paying an executive chef a whole bunch of money. But the line cooks and the sous chefs aren't making very much. True, true. Um, let me just hit a few more of these comments before this this thing times out of me. Are yeah. you are you a good tipper? I have a ninety three percent say. Ninety three percent say yes. Seven percent say no. <laughs> so I'm actually. Surprised. What I would like to know. All right. So ninety three percent of people think they're good tippers. What I would love to get is from the food and bev people. How many people? How many guests do you have that you would consider good tippers? I guarantee you, it's not ninety three percent. Yeah, I get. Yeah, exactly. I I, I agree as well. Um, do you worry about your safety when you dine out, COVID or otherwise? Twenty six percent say yes. So that means twenty six percent of people are in fear while they're eating. Well, those twenty percent probably just shouldn't be going out. If you're in fear of your safety for COVID exposure or otherwise, then then don't go out. Uh, um, and that, and that's then why I, have, I don't go out. I was like, I don't really want to be in a group group of people. I'm vaccinated, but I still don't want to be around people that could have COVID. Why? Why bother? I'm not concerned with it at all. Uh, do I tip well? Eighty nine percent said yes. Eleven percent said no. Let me see if any of these people have ever. No, none of these people have ever uh, served me or been tipped by me. However, one of them has had me cover the bill many, many times. So that's a, <laughs> it's a slap in the face right there. And then uh, um, let's see. All right. And that's, that's basically all I have uh, on, on that. Uh, no, there was something you, you said a minute ago that I really wanted to, to comment on. Fuck. I'll, I'll remember that in a second. Where, where well, were we otherwise? I don't know. I want to, I want to ask you this question, which is if the trend in restaurants is towards more automation and less people are interested in working these jobs and it becomes harder and harder to make money in restaurants. What does that mean longer term? How does that affect the kind of career train that like you can support yourself working in a service industry and then eventually move into something else if you want? But if you take that option away, where does that leave people? What, what are they going to be able to do? Well, I think, I think right now, I think over the next decade, we're going to see a crazy boom in AI. Okay. And I think that's going to come with some processing power and some data storage. And, and just really what's holding AI back is some, a bit of math and just data aggregation, right? Like, like some cool math that that's going to allow it to just think in, in smart, intuitive ways and and then just the data that it needs to, to add up, right? Like training a robot to recognize what a leaf is is, is, is going to take a lot of time. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see AI make a, a couple of leaps over the next 10 years. And it already has in the last 10 years, and that's only accelerating. But the point that I make is, yes, exactly. That curve is going to accelerate. And what we're going to see with each of those jumps is a series of careers just get washed away. And I think that, you know, I think some of them will stick around just for no novelty sake. But when you could have a machine pour and make drinks better than someone. Why do you have that person there? And I'm having a difficult time articulating other than the fact I like to talk with a bartender. 
who, if I'm sitting at a bar over the course of three hours, may have a conversation with me in total for four minutes. So, so, so one thing is like, if you've got AI or whatever, you're not going to be able to have a conversation with the bartender and say, hey, this is a drink that I like, but I'm looking for something a little bit different. Can you come up with a drink that's kind of similar to that? Or like to be able to improvise and make something new for each customer. And I know not, not every bar does that, but for the bars that do, well, that's look, something that it would be virtually impossible for AI to replace. On, on Saturday night, I'm chilling at the bar and there was a bit of a lull, you know, the seats on either side of me were open, but there was still, you know, a dozen people at the bar. And I said, Hey, what, uh, what are you doing with those pink peppercorns? And the guy said, you know what? I haven't touched him. He turned to the other bartender. He goes, what are, what are we doing with the pink peppercorns? He goes, I, I thought they looked good. So I threw them up there. And I said, well, you know, if you got a minute, let's uh, you want to come up with something. And he goes, I'm, I'm game if you are. And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the pink peppercorn. I'm thinking maybe a, a gin drink and maybe you bit your fresh basil back there. And he, go, he goes, matter of fact, we grow all sorts of shit on the roof. And I said, no way. He's telling me all this shit they grow on the roof. So I said, all right, my, you know, my contribution is, is some type of gin and basil. And what he did was he muddled the peppercorns, muddled a bit of a basil in there um some gin some campari he strained it threw some peppercorns on the top slapped the glass with some basil to kind of get some some aroma out of the basil threw the basil on the top as a garnish phenomenal drink now obviously that's a scenario that could that could never happen with uh with a robotic bartender or machine that you're ordering from but is the value you know the, the last time i made up a drink at a bar you know, a few years ago. So, you know, is there that much utility in, in having that bartender? I don't know. Um, what, what, what do you think? What do you think of the drink though? Uh, I'm not a big fan of Amaros. So like Campari does nothing for me. Well, it was good. It was mostly there for Yeah. Me. Like me, my probably. family of drinks, my favorite family has been sours and it always has been. All right. I don't, I don't think there was, I don't, oh, you, we might've had a little, no, I don't think there was any lemon in that. I don't know. I forget. I would think that a little bit of lemon juice and a, like a dash of simple, although like Campari does have a little bit of sugar in it. Yeah. There might've been, there might've been a little lemon juice, but I, I don't know. It was Saturday night. I, I'd thrown a few back at that point. Um, all right. I felt like I interrupted you again by all means. No, no, no. Um, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with like if if restaurant jobs become less appealing or less available. I really don't know what that's going to do for for younger people that are looking to have a job that because another another thing that restaurant jobs offer that we haven't really touched on is networking, where mm -hmm. you're meeting not only the coworkers that you have. But like, especially if you're a bartender, but to some degree a server, if you've got regulars, then you're building a relationship with them. And that might be the door to a different industry. Dude, the, the kid at the at the German restaurant downstairs from my office, which a day or two a week, I drop by and just get a, a salad and, and a, a pint of beer and uh, and get a little work done in private and then go back to the office. The kid at the bar, he goes, hey. Uh, Justin, you're never going to believe this. I'm like, you know, what's up? He goes, uh, uh, this morning there was a guy in here. He works for some financial company. I don't remember the name. And he goes, uh, he just hooked me up with an internship for next semester. 
exactly what you're talking about. So, but look, I, uh, I, I, I typically, you know, I'm pretty regular at uh, one of these chase offices near, near my office. And I noticed that they have maybe nine teller windows and three or four years ago, they slapped two giant robotic RoboCop looking uh, ATMs directly in front of two of the teller windows, which I thought was an interesting placement of the ATMs because I'm like, you, you're just taking away two jobs and you've literally just stuck this gigantic ATM. And it's an ATM that like, you know, touchscreen ATM and it'll give you ones and fives. And I don't think it gives you change, but it's, you know, it's a uh, state it's more than just twenties and like make a withdrawal. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's, you know, now when I go there and I need to see the teller, which is most of the time, uh, I, you know, I got to wait in line for the one teller that's there and God forbid somebody has a transaction, you know, with more than one check or whatever it is, somebody has got a complicated transaction. I got to wait for them to like, you know, some, some manager will run around the back and, and try to tag somebody else. And say, hey, can you, can you go take another window? So, you know, the ATMs are taking over the bank jobs. And I heard somebody in my office saying, hey, you know, all those banks that closed during coronavirus, uh, a lot of those guys didn't open back up because the banks found out that they're doing just fine closing half of their branches. I can speak to the truth on that. So my main bank accounts with Bank of America and the reason why I, I got what when I moved to South Carolina, I opened up a Bank of America account because there was a Bank of America a half mile from my apartment. And I was like, this is the most convenient place. I'm just going to go with this because I only have to drive two minutes. Um, now that bank is three miles away, but it's still a pretty convenient trip. Since coronavirus started, that branch hasn't been open. And a number of other branches in Charleston, like the, the times that I need to go to the bank, I have to go online and figure out which branches in Charleston are open. The last time I went to the bank, I had to drive 25 minutes. I'm pretty ticked yeah. about it. But Bank of America is just like, yo, we, like, turns out we don't need to have any of these branches open. Wild. But yeah. It, I'm pissed about it. Because I can't do mobile deposit. My phone can't do it. <laughs> but everybody else's phone can do it. Yeah, but, I know. But yeah, until BlackBerry it. gets their shit together, I'm stuck with the phone I have. Yeah, but it's it's but the bank is making just as much money, and uh, James maybe make an app that locates all the banks nearby. Yeah, that's called Google. Yeah, no, I, I, I can look it up. It's just annoying yeah. because like I want to go to the branch that I that is closest to me because it was open when I chose to open the account. Keep the branch open. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not an issue, Rosh, of locating the nearby banks it's an issue of having nearby banks that are that are close enough yeah and it's you also know. like it's not just any bank it has to be a bank of america that has teller service because i need to have someone that can actually take a check from me but you can you can't put the check in the atm no why i don't not? have a debit card why don't you have a, why do you have a debit card because i've never needed one <laughs> how do you not, how, your bank account doesn't come with a debit card it might have. They said they sent one to me, but I never got it. And I was just like, I don't need this. Because like refereeing provides me with cash. So if I ever need cash, I'm just like, all right, cool. I got money saved up from refereeing. And if I ever need to pay with something, I pay with my credit card. and I pay the balance down every single month. It's a system that works perfectly fine. It's a good system. And it's better to not. 
I don't actually carry a debit card around with me. I have the company debit card, but that's because I go to the bank to deposit checks and make certified checks and things like that. But um, but personally, I don't carry a debit card with me. I put everything on on credit card. So yeah, I run everything on a credit card because I get better rewards on my credit card than I would ever get with a debit card. Yeah, those of you out there that that pay with debit cards, you are missing out on one having almost all of your purchases protected. If you go to a store and you buy something and you walk out to the parking lot and somebody snags it from you and runs away with it, most of the time your credit card has purchase insurance. Um, also, you're getting points on each of those purchases. And sure, it may not be too, too much money, but it's more than zero, which is typically the case with your debit card. Yeah, I just cashed out like 600 and something dollars from my credit card rewards. And that's tax-free money. Is it tax-free? Yeah, it's definitely tax-free. Nice. That's good. I'm, I'm working on my, uh, on my credit card points. So I just, I, I use most of the time I use it for travel because they give you like one and a half times or two times the points, which is nice. Uh, and, and also another thing about credit cards is when, uh, when I travel, I have two or no, I have three or four different credit cards that give me, uh, free like travel uh so up to one one card two of the amexes i have give me up to 200 dollars in travel like rewards so if i buy in-flight beverages or i upgrade a flight or i change seats and it costs money each one of those gives me 200 bucks back and the chase um what is it called the chase sapphire gives me up to 300 bucks back and and it can be literally anything at the airport or in the flight which is which is really really cool and that's just free money yeah so to me it's it's totally worth it yeah as long as you pay off your balance every single month you're not encouraging incurring interest charges or finance charges or anything like if you can if you can run 100 percent of your costs through your credit card and pay the balance off every single month you're earning money back basically for free yeah it's it's an it's a no-brainer now uh, your waiters and wait staff typically prefer being tipped in cash. Just a, just a heads up to everybody. Yeah, for two reasons. The the first is that they're, I, I've never met a waiter that declared their cash tips completely accurately. Um, so it, it means that like if you're tipping in cash, the waiters are keeping some of that money tax-free, which and is totally... And James is an accountant, but what we were yeah, going to say, which is totally uh, why. When I was working as an accountant and also working as a bartender, like I still underdeclared my cash tips because it's what it's just something that happens in the industry. Um, we're, not, so we're not recording this. Don't worry. I don't really care. <laughs> like, and also, like with for credit cards, um, most restaurants, like, so there's a credit card processing fee that every retailer is going to have to pay. And it's usually somewhere between like two and three and a half percent. Yeah. And so when you get a credit card tip, the restaurant has to pay on that tip. They're getting processing fees on that tip. So usually restaurants will charge that percentage back to the server for the credit card fee. So if you tip 10 bucks on your bill, then your waiter is going to have to pay probably 30 or 40 cents back to the restaurant to cover that portion of the credit card fee. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but like that's a three, like that's a two to 3% reduction in your salary 
before taxes. Dude, I uh, every every month we get thousands of dollars in uh, terminal charges, which are that that two and a half to three and a half percent, depending yep. on the card type, depending on the transaction. If the card's not present, it's like the max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and people don't get it. I'm like, no, you got to, you know, I if I'm taking money that needs to be turned over to another party. So say I'm taking four thousand dollars and I have to pay four thousand dollars to the next party, but that terminal is going to charge me three percent. I have to charge an extra uh, hundred and twenty bucks. Otherwise, I don't have that four thousand dollars at the end of the day to turn back over to that third party. So yep. We got it. We got to add it in there. I'm doing you a service in, in basically changing the hands of the money. So, um, oh, I know that one thing I wanted to add. Uh, oh, damn. I got to pull up the name. But Ari, was it Ariana who joined us from uh, uh, Ariana from Drinks First? She had one of her episodes. She was talking with a, a guy that owns a few clubs in Manhattan, and he was talking about tippets from bartenders. And I meant to bring it up in the in the podcast with her and just say, hey, you guys didn't do a good job in your episode of explaining what a tip it is. But it's when a bartender gets you a drink and basically says, hey, you've been, you know, you, I gave you four Jack and Cokes. Here's a fifth one on me. Tip it back. Yeah, exactly. It's the, the drink isn't truly free. It's like, well, it is the bartender that, up. It is to it is to the people that don't understand what a tip it drink is. So if you're spending 12 bucks on a drink and the bartender if you order the drink and the bar- bartender says you know tip it back i took i took care of it on the check for you it means that your tip has to increase by 12 bucks yeah um when i was a sure. bartender i i engaged in that practice but i never asked for it i just like assumed that the people understood what was going on well usually they don't and they still just give you a generous tip because you were nice to them but they don't tip in an, in an excess amount of that that beverage so i'm sharing this for the podcast world and for you guys on Instagram and you guys on, on TikTok, when the bartender buys your drink, it usually means that you have to tip in that amount. Now, if the bartender throws you a free shot, that's different than a tip it. That's him just hooking you up in my opinion. Yeah. But if they're like, this one's on me, it means that you need to then pay for it. Yeah. And, and usually they will use that phrase. This one's on me not tip it back to me. No, I did use that phrase sometimes. On me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> it just means you're, you're putting your job on the line a little bit. All right, what do we miss on restaurants? You know, we, didn't, we really didn't talk about the, the difficulties in running a restaurant. We talked a little bit about what, what AI and automation is, is posing a threat to the restaurant industry. We talked a little bit about coronavirus and how that's affected restaurants. And I feel bad because like you said, restaurants operate a lot on the profit, a lot on their drinks. And when people are just ordering out food, I could sit at a bar for three hours and order five or six drinks or sometimes more and sit at a bar for a little bit longer. But, and that's going to add up and it's going to add up and add up. If I order out, even if they, which New York city did for a little while, allow you to take out, beverages i wasn't ordering six or seven drinks with my takeout order i was ordering like a quart of of old-fashioned or something like that which is a quart of old-fashioned by the way is a that's a lot of old-fashioned it is it's your large chinese soup container oh man what uh what am i missing here uh as we as we wind out 
I don't know. I say, uh, I think we can wrap on this and then see where the comments fall, address them on Thursday, and then start with a fresh topic after that. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty solid idea. Um, I think uh, we got to incorporate a little more with the current food and beverage, uh, you know, the current people who are waiters and bartenders. I, I'll, I'll work to do a little bit of, to get some of these guys to. Ju- yeah, to if anyone's listening who is currently working in restaurants or whatever and wants to join in for for a spell, uh, we'd be happy to hear your opinions and have you have you live. My my thinking is it's a pretty abysmal time over the last eighteen months to be involved in the food and beverage industry, and I and I, mm-hmm. I feel bad for for the industry as a whole, for the owners, for the staff. Uh, and oftentimes for the patrons, we, we've seen in New York City, a lot of our favorite restaurants disappear, which there's is not really a winner here. That's the problem. No, it, it, there's not. And, the, you know, and, and even the idea of getting in and out of a restaurant at twelve dollars, you know, a head is not is not a win, because as we discussed, that's bad food. It's just it's not it's not good food. Um, all right. Thank you guys for joining us on Instagram. Uh, thank you guys on TikTok. You're my eyeline over here. We're out of time, but uh, but I want to thank you guys for joining. I want to thank Rosh Galeb in the background for feeding us your comments. Thank you, Rosh. Thank you, James. I'll see you guys next time. Adios. See ya. All right, my friends, that concludes this episode. Do, uh, do you agree? Were we too long-winded? What do you think of uh, this episode? What do you think of all the episodes? What do you think of us? We want to know your opinions, as harsh and as crucial as they may be. And uh, we want to know uh, what you'd like to add. Um, And on that note, uh, it's over. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.